Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way gonna live with it let's do this dinosaurs that was not <laughs> masculine <laughs> i'm proud of you for going on this trip you're gonna have so much fun and remember if something chases you run. we have learned more in the past decade from genetics 
been a century of digging up bones. A whole new frontier has opened up. We have our first genetically modified hybrid. We just went and made a new dinosaur? Probably not a good idea. Almost 40 feet high. Really think she climbed out. Depends. On what? What kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab. Evacuate the island. She's a highly intelligent animal. She will kill anything that moves. everybody each month a gang of thugs gather to take on one film currently in theaters and spoil that film rotten this month we're heading back to isla nublar for a visit to the world's favorite carnivorous theme park jurassic world director colin trevorrow i'm pete wright and making up the gang this month we have the real reason velociraptors hunt in packs justin jj yeager horn went out from my brontosaurus and from Los Angeles, or if he had it his way, Nuevo Isla Nublar, the indomitable Tommy Handsome. Thank you, everybody. Happy to be here. And the biggest disappointment in Jurassic World for me, that they didn't tap this guy as the real John Hammond, Andy Nelson. Hello, everybody. Hello once again. Before we get into all of that nonsense, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com slash filmboard. Uh, subscribe for free on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And be sure to join us over at Instagram.com slash The Next Reel and play the Instagram hashtag Pony Prize hashtag Guess the Movie Challenge contest going on weekly. Okay, here we go. Gentlemen, I give you Jurassic World. As we are wont to do, let's go around the table for our brief review and then we'll see if we can dig in to this film. JJ, would you like yeah. to start? <laughs> sure. Um, it, it's interesting that you choose to start with me because I don't know that I'm the perfect candidate for this movie because I'm not a huge Jurassic Park fan. So it's kind of like bringing me to the table is kind of like bringing Tommy to a comic book movie, right? Oh, um, that's like foreshadowing. Not, yeah. not, not, not trying to be mean when I say that. But no, shots fired. So, well, <laughs> well uh, so I'm going to treat this movie kind of in an isolated vacuum in what it is for itself and not with the whole you know, the realm, the mythology, the the whole canon of Jurassic Park. So in general, I thought it was okay um, and fun, and I guess it'll be great for people who love Jurassic Park. For me, it just was kind of bland, and I feel like I've kind of seen it before. I've seen the first Jurassic Park, and that's the only one I've seen, and this was kind of like a cover song of Jurassic Park. Mm. Mm-hmm. The claws come out. Andy? Um, I, uh, have seen all of them and I just rewatched the entire trilogy last weekend. I saw this one twice this weekend, actually. Um, I, I, my, my four-year-old is in love with dinosaurs and after watching it once, we're like, yeah, he can probably watch it. He watched the second and third ones with me and I took him and he was great. And he reassured me several times during the movie. He said, daddy, I'm not scared at all. (laughs) That is adorable. Totally, totally not scared of the movie. Um, I had a great time watching this movie. I know it had lots of uh, problems, uh, but at the same time, 
I don't know what it is about these dinosaur movies. I typically find it very easy to get over the problems that I do have with it. Um, uh, particularly Jurassic Park 3, which is a very much a guilty pleasure of mine. I love that one uh, almost as much as the first Jurassic Park. And this one, I think, came close to Jurassic Park 3 for me. I really did enjoy it quite a bit. <laughs> it came close to Jurassic Park 3 for me, too. Uh, Tommy? <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, I think in the sequels, this is my number two as far as it uh, as far as rankings go. It was a bit underwritten while also being a bit overstuffed. But I had a really like Andy. I had a really great time. And I have to be completely honest, when Paddock 9 opened up and my giant old pal came out, I honestly had tears in my eyes. I was having so much fun. So I loved it. I I am so happy to hear you say that. And I'll tell you, on my point, this was an emotional roller coaster for me, right? I mean, I wanted to love it so much. I went in really primed for this movie. Kids Alone in the Park? I, okay, we've been there before, but I'm going to let it slide because of the awesome hamster ball cars. Genetic splicing to create more dinosaurs? A little bit old hat, uh, but we'll, I'm going to let it go there too. And there were some really, I thought, some really pretty chilling sequences for sure. And I thought the visual effects were really solid. But when Big Bad Dinosaur has a dinosaur conversation with the clone trooper velociraptors <laughs> and executes Order 66, and the velociraptors turn on their Jedi handlers and chase them through the forest, I found myself laughing out loud, which lasted only until the actual climax in which Big Bad was bested when I laughed out loudier. Overall, I, you know, I, I it was mostly fun as a, a visual spectacle, and Chris Pratt, who didn't let me down as a snarky action hero, uh, I, I guess it was better than the the Lost World. I think it's it's up there uh, for me, uh, it, but it, it's just I, I wanted to have that reboot moment uh, that where I felt like this is right on par with the first one, and it just didn't it just didn't hit that for me. So, yay that I win. Yeah, you sort of win. <laughs> I win the movie-going experience. <laughs> can we can we start with story? And I want to start with story uh, for with Tommy because uh, because you were the one going into this movie. Who I think uh, of all of us was probably the most excited, like giddy oh excited. I, I'm still bouncing up and down as if I'm on a ball right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So how did it how did it hold up for I mean I obviously you liked it but if you really sit back and you look at the the story of of the thing uh was was it constructed well to your liking did it did it live up to what you what you wanted No <laughs> I can honestly say no not at all it's was I said before it's overstuffed in that I guess we're just getting into it now, yeah, right? Get into it. The whole uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, what? Vincent D'Onofrio. That whole we want to uh, weaponize the uh, <laughs> dinosaur thing while a fun swipe from Cameron's aliens was, it belonged, I felt like, in another movie. There was no need for it. It led to some fun uh, sequences, but I was thrilled enough just by the idea of when you make a theme park, people get bored easy, and so you have to do whatever you can to keep them in their seats, and then the seat, you know, the creatures go nuts. That was enough for me. I didn't need that other stuff. Um, also, the love story was ridiculous. The kids were no Lex and Tim. All of those things honestly kind of failed for me, and I loved it. <laughs> I don't really know how to explain it. And I'm sorry if this makes me feel uh, sound like the biggest rube in the world, but like I was just checking off problems that I had throughout the storytelling process. 
And I was still then, while I was starting to get angry, then the next set piece involving dinosaurs would happen. And I was just thrilled. I was right there with you, uh, Tommy. I, I mean, that was exactly how I felt about it with the, all the story problems. It just, they, so many of them didn't line up. In fact, the, the element that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio brought to the table really ended up feeling reminiscent of The Lost World, which for me was just the biggest letdown of the whole series. Um, that one seemed like they were trying to take things the most serious, um, where it's got the two different parties dealing with the dinosaurs and, you know, right. you've got, you've got the, the tree hugger hippie, uh, uh, Vince Vaughn, and you've got the, uh, the, um, what's his name? Um, the, uh, uh, Pete Postlethwaite and his hunters. You've got these two sides kind of vying for the dinosaurs. That one just ended up just feeling way too preachy to me. And I had such a hard time with it. And that was where this one seemed to be going with all of the, uh, D'Onofrio elements of it and the whole weaponizing these dinosaurs it just right. it was really unnecessary completely but the but what they did bring to the table that worked really well for me is what Jurassic Park 3 brought to the table which is nothing but more than just an escape from a dino island movie i mean there's nothing serious about JP3 at all it's just dinosaur nonsense and i just love watching it because i can just shut my brain off and watch people running from dinosaurs for an hour and a half it's awesome and that's what all of the best parts of this one were it was just Agreed. these guys dealing with these dinosaurs you're running loose on this island full of 21,000 people and it, and it was just a blast see that's where i get into i and i'm with you guys the the vincent tonofrio story it wasn't i mean he he was terrible and he hurt my feelings. He was so terrible. Like the part, and I, I, I love Vincent D'Onofrio. You, know, you mean I, how I, it was written? How it, it was acted? Yes, both. yeah, everything. Yes. both. Everything about it was terrible. I think it was acted poorly because it was a terrible, inane character. It was, it was a terrible character, and he is phenomenally talented. And he was just given garbage. And it, and what are you going to do with garbage? Yeah, that's what came out. Uh, the whole storyline, that whole B story, was just so stupid uh, that I it was hard to take seriously at all. And of course, that leads to the the you know the infamous, infamous talking dinosaur sequence that I I just I had a real problem with. I'm with you. I I really like the the running from dinosaur stuff. More running from dinosaurs, please. Like just, let's not. They don't need individual motivation. The the Velociraptors got to eat. Like let's just let them eat. Right. Uh, everything else was just like, why are we trying to to anthropomorphize these creatures at all? We know they're the scariest things in the jungle. They are they are scarier than everything else because they're small and they hunt in packs. They've set that up. We know their story arc. We know how it begins and we know how it ends. And that they made this sort of clumsy in in gen scientist now the the bad guy. Uh, that that this he... movie is unclear about who the bad guy is. I wonder if that's why Vincent D'Onofrio exists. So they don't care. I mean, I, I want to be the most angry about the story than from any of you guys, and that's because again, I don't care about people running from dinosaurs. Then that's sort of the yeah. concession Justin. that I made at the front, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> No, but but the point is, is that nothing in the story is new. And if you take the the main complication of the story that the park is getting stale and they need to create this genetically enhanced dinosaur to make everything more uh, 
interesting, more wild, more wow for the people visiting the park. That is how they totally failed this movie because they made nothing in the story that was genetically enhanced to make anything new, special, or wow, or scarier, or different. Yes, it has all of those great things from Jurassic Park 1 and Jurassic Park 2 and and, and some of the fun from Jurassic Park 3. You know, those things are still there, but it's all just redundant, it feels to me. And, and if, to be honest, I've only seen the first one, but it feels all a little bit clipped from the greatness of the first one. And that and that's why I just it it let me down in the fact that there wasn't a super dinosaur. It wasn't super enough for me here to think that the story was worth anything. Okay, so here's here's my big question for all of you, um, and and I think this gets back to the Steven Spielbergness of the first one, right? That this film I think was doomed to fail on that front, on the front of giving us any sense of intrigue or or sort of any it, it increasing the impact or level of interestingness. Because they were, in a sense, I'm going to say forced, to show us a lot of the flair of the park, which includes showing off all the dinosaurs way too early in the film. I mean, let's take the trailer out of it. Let's assume we never saw the trailer, which did the same thing. I mean, it showed us the big bad dinosaur in the stinking trailer, right? That was, that was terrible. But let's just pretend that didn't exist. We are introduced to the biggest dinosaur in the park in the first 15 minutes. The water dinosaur? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't have a problem with that. It's a dinosaur movie. We want to see dinosaurs. Otherwise, it's going to be boring. I mean, you're, you're going to end up with a whole first act with no dinosaurs, and it's just going to be kind of tedious. Well, see, and that, I think, is the problem, because maybe that's where I felt most let down, is that I don't want to just see dinosaurs. I want to be thrilled. I want to be scared. Yeah, isn't it? It's not a... My thing is, why the first one was great is that it wasn't a dinosaur movie. It was a scary movie. It was a thrilling movie, and and they made sure that we were nervous and scared, and they didn't do that in this movie. They just played with the dinosaurs. The movie was about the fear of the people in the park, and in this one, it was about the dinosaurs, and that was it. It was showing us all the wonderful things that dinosaurs could do. I think that's my, that's my take on it. And haven't we already seen that? I guess that, that, that's three with that. times. Well, okay, Tommy. Only because I think that it does it ever match. Will the film ever be able to match the first one by Steven Spielberg, the biggest master in the world? No. And I think the film is super self-aware of that uh, with the potential Jaws shark joke uh, when the uh, big water monster comes up and eats the great white shark uh, with the mm-hmm. linking to constant um, remembrances of the first one. The, there's so many just of the kind of the same sequences, but just upped. And this coming from a movie that starts with one of the main characters saying, no one cares in just dinosaurs anymore. I think yeah. this film is incredibly self-aware of being a sequel trying to live up to a masterpiece. And so we've got the gyroscope instead of the Jeep with Tim and Lexi. We've got the hospital van with the two kids who are no Tim and Lexi racing away mm-hmm. while the Raptors and the Indominus whatever is coming up instead of the Jeep with Jeff Goldblum. It seems just sort of like a a love letter to the first one in mm. a way that I kind of thought was really interesting while also biting on the idea of the merchandising while Jake Johnson is wearing uh, the original uh, shirt from the movie and they talk about merchandising on that to, again, the idea of that the biggest dinosaur, the first thing that he eats, was the biggest thing that Steven Spielberg ever introduced to cinema history, which was Jaws. 
No, that, I think that's cool. I hadn't thought about that. But then again, I I haven't seen Jaws either. So there you go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Next year, tell we'll me you we'll haven't let seen this guy on the show. I, uh, <laughs> Reading my profile on the nextreel.com, I don't see scary movies. Yeah, uh, he's right. He sees them with me. We saw The Ring together, and he almost, yeah, I had to almost move. It was a state. Difficult experience. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, you know, this gets back to something JJ said. And Andy, you remember when we did the trailer. On the show. We did the trailer as one of our trailer reviews two, like a year and a half ago, and we said, well, here's what I'm really excited about this trailer about, because the premise of the show is that people are, uh, you know, people are over, you know, they're oversensitized or desensitized to, to you know, that thrill, and the whole premise was this still of a kid sitting on a bench staring at his phone with the giant eye of the Tyrannosaurus Rex in a cage behind him, right, the big eye, and that that sequence alone was super suspenseful, and I think I, I see where they were trying to go to to capture that. But for me, it went so over the top uh, that that they just you know in terms of all these other little stories, the love story, the military story, that it just really failed. I you know in terms of of cast, I I thought um, uh, uh, Pratt did a fantastic job. I, I enjoy watching him on screen, and I also liked uh, uh, what's his we just said his name nice. Jake uh, Jake what's his name Johnson. Johnson, I well, I really dig so dig cool. that guy, uh, from New Girl. He's incredibly funny, and uh, I just loved watching him on screen too. I love him in a slightly bigger part in a very big movie. I hope he does many more. Um, so there were there were elements that I really liked, but I just don't feel like it captured the intent that I went in expecting. I think that that I mean I I've heard a lot of comments from people about this movie this weekend, and obviously it's doing well. I mean this movie has. Bit broken just box office records, box office records left and right. It's the first film to hit five hundred million dollars in a in a weekend opening. I mean, it was a gargantuan weekend. It uh, was number one in all of its foreign markets where it, where it opened. It's almost beating, and it may by the end of uh, once they count all the dollars, it may actually beat the Avengers as far as the number one weekend uh, opening ever. It's right now estimated wow. at two, 204.6 million. And if there's uh if it hits 207, that's where uh, the Avengers was on its weekend record. So it's doing really well. People are eating this movie up. I haven't seen mo- uh, lines at a movie theater like this in, in quite a while. Um, but I still hear a lot of people talking about how much they hated it on uh, on Facebook and social media, just the chitter chatter. People don't seem to like it. I, I I wonder if people are just wanting much more of the original Jurassic Park feel um, and not so much of the people getting chased by dinosaurs feel, which I love. I absolutely have a blast watching. So much fun. Um, but I do, I do love the original too. It's just I maybe I wasn't going in expecting that. And from the trailer, I mean, geez, you've got Chris Pratt riding on a motorcycle in a pack of raptors. I, I, I didn't go into this movie expecting any anything serious when I saw that in the trailer. I think that they're setting up the fact that they're not being very serious with what they're setting up in this film. They're not, they're not creating a a much more serious Jurassic Park. This is a a horror movie that happens in a dinosaur theme park. This happens to be a fun with dinosaurs sort of movie. I think it's just a totally different tone than the first one was. Do any of you guys watch Shark Week when it comes? Occasionally, from time to time. Are you going to watch it next year? Why is it all about the Mesosaurus? 
no, but my point being is like <laughs> Shark Week is this big like thing, right? Every year it's Shark Week. Yeah. Shark Week is yeah. coming. Well, Jurassic World is kind of like uh, if you liked Shark Week last year, we last year you should watch it this year. It's <laughs> another dinosaur movie. There it's going to go. be the, the same sort of thrills. There's really nothing new here. But uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you. I also, I mean, I do. Th- that's what I mean about the chilling, st- <laughs> <I know. Just laughs> the chilling stuff. There. I, I do like the the chilling stuff of the running through dinosaurs. There were some good chases, and I thought the the sequence where the, um, you know, where the the gyrosphere, the boys in the gyrosphere, were where <laughs> the dinosaur was trying to eat the gyrosphere, and they the perspective from the boys was looking down its throat as it was like got its jaws locked on that giant ball. I thought was really cool and and pretty scary and and um, in an intense sequence with you know i thought that was as thrilling while i didn't like the boys as much as i liked tim and lex yeah i thought that was as thrilling visually as the original jeep sequence with the two kids were um yeah i, thought I, was... I think i would have agreed with you had i liked the boys more i think that was a, a yeah. pretty big thing and that's that gets to the nut of it like i can i can get around not taking it as seriously but let's at least find a way to have us really like the characters um, I didn't have a connection that, like I had with those two kids in the first one, and and that I think led to just not caring about the intensity of the sequence, you know, as much. So sure, the, the times when I got emotional with the film were with the actual animals. So if it, maybe that can be said for something for me for something that I like new. I didn't think any of the characters were written well, and I thought the dialogue was actually really poor. But all of the interactions with the animals when they were interacting with the dinosaur, uh, I actually. I, I got emotional with that, you know, whether it was with the brontosauruses or the, uh, and they aren't brontosaurus anymore. That's one of the technicalities, but with the velociraptors, that, that relationship between man and oh, animal actually yeah. was special to me in this movie. And me I didn't too. feel that way before when he's sort of training them and being the yeah. ra- raptor whisperer. Yeah. I loved all that stuff. So we, we say that it's under, uh, underwritten. There are a lot of hands, uh, in this film in terms of writing hands i mean rick jaffa amanda silver colin trevorrow Derek connelly uh, wrote this thing all based obviously on michael crichton's original stuff and michael crichton never finished this i mean we oh, never got there he started writing this i didn't no know no that. no. i'm just saying he never took us to the park like he oh okay there were, there were elements stuff. yeah it was just all new yeah. stuff and so um you know any i, I mean Apart from the fact that you loved the the dino chase of it all, any comments specifically about the script, or are we going to just move right on through that? Well, I mean, I think <laughs> we've chatted about the script. I mean, it has plenty of problems. It's, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's. I, I guess I, you know, I don't know. It's just so funny because I, I didn't go into this expecting anything great story-wise. I just went in expecting uh, a lot of fun dinosaur stuff, and that's what I got. I didn't get a great script. I got a lot of problems. I don't think I had as many problems with the characters as you guys did. Um, I found them easily digestible, and so I, uh, just like a dinosaur, I guess, I I just <laughs> ate them up. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, uh, other than other than Chris Pratt, who I love in pretty much everything, I didn't really find myself liking anyone. Yeah, I actually really liked Bryce Dallas Howard in this. I thought she did a great job as kind of the uptight uh, head of the place, and I thought her transition went uh, went well. I liked her transition to becoming a, a more powerful woman, and I love her. I thought she pulled it off really well as somebody who wears high heels through the whole film. Um, actually getting brave enough to go open the T-Rex cage and lure the T-Rex out. I was, I really liked that. I agree with Andy. And I know that this is a hot button issue. Well, that's hot a, button yeah. issue. All right, guys, let's get into this part of the podcast. It's hot button issue. 
Do we have a theme for that? We don't. Now, now we do. <laughs> I'm gonna just put music behind you saying that. Okay, great. And maybe a beat. Like I'm gonna drop a beat. In Fantastic. There. Yeah. Hey guys, it's time for hot button issue: sexism. Does it exist in dinosaurs? Andy, go. Okay, no, <laughs> I didn't. Granted, I was sort of set up for it because of all the news that came out before the movie came out. Because starting with Joss Whedon tweeting about the trailer, um, I was oh, I was okay with the character. I feel it was lazy. A little bit lazy of just sort of this, her arc was a little bit lazy, but it's not like she was Kate Capshaw in uh, Temple of Doom, another Spielberg film. I'm not a woman (laughs) tripping over my own high heels just because the screenwriter put me in these high heels that actually uh, Bryce Dallas Dallas Howard ended up being very important and very functional and very sort of up to game. And so I was okay with it. Yeah, I, I was really surprised after watching the movie about the sexism remarks because I I was pretty uh, I thought they took dealt with her character nicely and and they gave her moments to actually stand on her own and I thought she did it well. So what are can someone catch me up on the sexism discussion because I've seen things sort of virally about it but I don't really know the points that people are making. What's what's sexist in this movie? Joss Whedon was saying it's from the 80s. It's sort of that romance, the romancing the stone. Again, as I said, Temple of Doom kind of idea is that the woman is uptight and uh, sort of not shrill, but uptight and doesn't uh, know how to exist except for anything but just career, while the man is the life force and the Han Solo slash um, Indiana Jones that lets her finally open up and achieve her her job in the world, which is to be maternal and loving. So I guess my test for that is if you reverse the genders in those two roles, would it be different? Right. So if if the Bryce Dallas Howard character was it was a, a man, and the and the Chris Pratt character was a woman, um, would I mean, are we talking about the characters or are we talking about their genders? We're talking about both, and it's not that great of an argument. You're right, JJ, that that's where it sort of falls down. Some of the reason that this is coming is because Laura Dern in the first Jurassic Park was so strong. Yeah. And it was actually, as Steve Sarmento in our texts brought up, that it's actually um, Sam Neill that, if you, for lack of a better word, gets domesticated (laughs) in that. (laughs) Uh, And while, while sort of going back to this woman who is in a pencil... Uh, pencil skirt, isn't that a thing? And high heels and stuff, and is just constantly needing help and running away, that that felt like a throwback that people were were, uh, uncomfortable with. I believe that that's a good way to sum it up. I think that that it works perfectly, though, JJ. I mean, if you do reverse the the character's genders and you make her a uh, an animal expert who can is an animal whisperer with these uh, raptors and he is an uptight businessman running this thing i think it would work reversing the roles yeah no i think so too and i guess that's why i i guess I, my my issue with it is with the characters not with the genders because i think you could just reverse it and you and you'd be it, you know you make chris pratt dr quinn medicine woman and uh, and it and it would work out okay I, I didn't notice anything apart from being not all that thrilled with bryce dallas howard's ultimate transformation like it it just the character was written sort of clumsily for me. Like I, I just, you know, I didn't know who she he, was. That was always kind of the hard thing for me. Yeah, I never really understood whether she was whether she was the stereotype that the sexism argument is trying to put forth. I never caught that from her. I never caught that she was so uptight and all those things. I, 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 
there, she just wasn't fully fleshed out in in either the beginning or the end for well, me. Right, which which I think is ultimately the, the the problem of of writing the character because she's in a great position, right? I mean, here is a woman who has worked hard enough and is strong enough to lead a massive organization, right? A massive organization of uh, of entertainment property, and and she's put in these kind of weird positions where she's just played as as really sort of insipid with the, you know, with the owner of the park, who is this, you know, again, a free will, right. free spirit male. Exactly. Free will. And so it it's not so much that she's terrible. It's that she's terrible when she's playing against all these other characters, these male characters that aren't that great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I kind of see where the, you know, certainly where Joss Whedon is coming from. And I, I wish that she'd had better characters to bounce off of, but that's not a problem of sexism in the movie. It's a problem of a crappy script. I guess that's my point about switching the genders. Is I, I feel like the, the the roles are just thin, and so it you it looks like sexism or it looks like something that's just like a cop out. But really, it's just because the script is weak. Right. It's lazy. Gets yeah. me all yeah. fired up. All oh, fired up. Uh, but back to Andy's point: the script wasn't the important part about the movie. <laughs> Right. I mean, here, here. That's like, right. I mean, maybe maybe we shouldn't get caught up in that because maybe we should look at what what the movie try was trying to accomplish, really. And that's to give that fun ride to the people who wanted it. All right. So let's talk just briefly about the visuals and uh, in that uh, about the, the camera, um, because it was, you know, it was another one of those films that has in its uh, genetic uh, predecessor. um much less CGI, right? The the big CGI train really kind of started with Jurassic Park as they figured out how to do um, the T-Rex and, uh, you know, as a CG character, largely. Um, but there was a lot of, uh, there was certainly a lot of, a, a lot more of the kind of animatronic and uh, in, in that film. And a lot of people were saying, can this, can this film have any visual heart? Um, you know, or will the effects live up to the film enough to give it visual heart? If all of these dinosaurs are, are for the most part CG characters, although I believe that didn't uh, Colin uh, Trevorrow come out and actually say that they had quite a few uh, animatronic dinosaurs in the film. They did. He did say that, and there, you know, what is quite a few? There are a ton of dinosaurs in this film. So, <laughs> you know, we're looking at straight straight percentage. I don't know. I'm I don't know what that is, but the ones that I really noticed, you know, certainly the close ups, the dying. Uh, the dying saying, one. quote, Brontosaurus, even though I know it's not, uh, whatever it is. I'm still um, going to call it a Brontosaurus. You know, it, when when the when Chris Pratt is acting with the Velociraptors, he's acting with, you know, green things. Yeah, and I think there's times when the, uh, the, when the Irex's head is a big animatronic head, when it kind of comes in next to the Jeep and is yeah. sniffing things. And it was pretty Which, good. Mean, it was pretty good. About, that's that's about how much uh, animatronics they had in the original, too. Yeah, that's true. They just had a lot more individual sequences that were, you know, CG in this film. Well, I'd say it's pretty comparable. I not even close. Are you kidding? There's just a, there's a, there's more dinosaurs, so I think there's more. But I mean, I think if you're looking at the quantity of just screen time, I think it's it's pretty comparable. number straight number of visual effects shots. Where they were creating CG characters, you're telling me you think it's comparable to the first Jurassic Park? Potentially, I'm saying, I'm saying the animatronic <laughs> usage is comparable. Oh, okay, okay, right, all right, I'll buy that. Potentially, even more important than that fun debate um, <laughs> was 
is the idea that I think that um, the director of this one, very Spielbergian, showed a lot of restraint for, like Pete, like what you're saying, the amount of CG that he could have just used, and he does wildly. He never... I was so impressed by his choice and the DP's choice to almost always, except for landscape reveals and the understandable and I thought amazing and kind of terrifying uh, bird dinosaur attack. Everything is filmed from the ground. And so everything is filmed from the human perspective, which makes it constantly so scary to be in the park for me versus a lot of... Peter Jackson, my earlier argument is just because you can shoot from anywhere doesn't mean you should shoot from anywhere. He hit a lot of stuff behind leaves. He and he always filmed things from the ground perspective when you can't really see stuff. I think that makes such a difference. I was really impressed. That for me in today's CGI thing is restraint, and I like it. Well, even with the Indominus Rex, I mean, there were plenty of times where it was so big that you didn't get the entire creature in in the shot. Right, it was like Cloverfield. You couldn't really figure out what it looked like for a while. Right. The perspective always, Tom, it sounds like you're talking a little bit about perspective, too, in terms of the cheating of the camera and stuff. And I think that that was always perfect in this movie. I never questioned where I was looking from, which is really great. To go back to the the debate that you wanted to go away from, which is the animatronic versus CG uh, discussion, I found the animatronics, maybe it's because I'm older than when the first one came out, but I found myself questioning the animatronics in this one. When uh, the velociraptors were in uh, the the face cages that they had, you saw mm-hmm. their you saw their noses kind of like flaring, and it looked like they were actually instead of actually having this is going to sound ridiculous, but holes for nostrils that they had these kind of membranes, right? And and I found myself thinking like, wow, I wish I knew the science of dinosaurs to know if that's like real or if that's just a a mistake. So little stuff like that. I found myself distracted oh, by the so animatronics here. So super distracting, were, yeah. That they were spending time. Uh, on the animatronics, and I found myself questioning whether it was real or not, and I did. I don't like that. So, wow, that's interesting. I that didn't that didn't trip me up. Yeah, I, I yeah. you know, for me, I was just looking at you know how you know how well does it look like the characters are able to act or run from these characters with a sense of fear, um, yeah. and and I you know I thought generally they did a really you know a really good job you know apart from the the you know stuff that. You know, I thought was kind of silly. I I thought the the chase sequences, the run sequences. I even thought the Velociraptor whisper se- sequence was, which which I think is really a highlight of that particular argument. Is can he sit there with three completely CG um, Velociraptors and really be scared of them or really dominate them sort of willfully? Uh, and I thought that was a great sequence. I think it it demonstrated his character really well, and and it wouldn't have worked as well if he couldn't pull off. Uh, you know. Uh, demonstrating his dominance over realistic-looking characters. I agree with that, and I, I believed him in everything when he's being a voice of reason, when he's commanding the dinosaurs, all that stuff. I didn't personally believe Chris Pratt that much in uh, the love sequences, um, and I think that the movie robbed Chris Pratt, this is me personally, a little bit of his goofiness. He didn't really seem to question himself that much, and that's sort of what makes him so uh, relatable to me even indiana jones sort of pokes fun at himself sometimes. right and that was that was a lot of the gift of guardians of the galaxy his character there as we got to exactly. really see that yeah um, 
in motion. Um, the cinematography was uh, uh, handled by John Schwartzman, and I can't remember have we talked about him uh, before. I mean, he's behind he's behind the camera of a lot of very big, um, big films and some really big disappointments. Um, you know, he did Dracula Untold immediately before Jurassic World, but also oh. Saving Mr. Banks before that, which I thought was terrific. Uh, and so, uh, but it, you know, he's what a amazing, weird whiplash of amazing Spider-Man uh, to yeah. Green Hornet to Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian to The Bucket List to National Treasure, Book of Secrets. Like, he's... At, and meet the Fockers. <laughs> meet the Fockers, man. I mean, so... Uh, but his biggest uh, uh, films, I think, were, you know, up until Jurassic World, probably Pearl Harbor, uh, Seabiscuit, uh, Armageddon. Uh, he's He's been behind... I think Whiplash is the way to, is the way to frame it. Yeah. Uh, it'd be, be tough to nail this guy down. Uh, but in general, I think one of the, you've already made the comment for me at least, which is that he smartly shot from the perspective of people, and that's something that Spielberg really got right in in the first movie. That in in that in that area, I think the film uh, really carried the mantle very well for the. And I series. also want to repeat what Justin said, which was exactly right: is that everything, especially when you've got not like three Raptors and motorcycles and cars. Or later you have a T-Rex fighting an indomitable whatever that you always knew where you were and you knew what was happening. That's so thrilling to see. And absolutely uh, a, a turnabout from, you know, the third Jurassic Park, uh, where I think that just sort of came off the rails. Andy? Andy. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired again. Andy's thoughts? <laughs> I I admit it's a it's a guilty pleasure for me. I know it's a it's a very problematic film with some uh, characters that people don't like, but uh, it's got a lot of fun stuff in it, and I just love the dinos in that one. Uh, the I thought they had a great uh, great one with the pteranodons in that film, and uh, I you got a lot more of that in this film. But I actually really like the pteranodons in that film, maybe slightly more, only because you get some much better close ups of them in that film. And it's fun that cell phones are used in both 3 and now Jurassic World. Cell phones were used how to target the big bad in Jurassic 3, correct? It wasn't a cell phone. It was their global, yeah, it was their global phone that uh, that he had eaten, right? Oh, but it still sort of had a ringtone. Or <laughs> right, which is, which is great, yeah. yes. And so you, yeah. Would, you would hear the big, the boom, boom in Jurassic 3 was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, which I kind of right. like. And in the <laughs> gyroscope or the gyro ball, whatever, uh, yeah, that the dinosaur, uh, knowing them because... Uh, of the dummy, vibration, right? the mean teenager boy's uh, phone is on vibration. Oh, he was so mean until he wasn't. <laughs> he was so broody. <laughs> he was so broody because you know broodiness. girls and hormones. Oh, uh, uh, can we hit on the stereotypes of the characters anymore? Do I mean, it! Wow. <laughs> like, make sure you know what this person is all about. We're gonna we're gonna hit on this little aspect about twenty five times in every <laughs> single one of them. I mean, even with D'Onofrio, everything is, I mean, he had cutaways where all he was saying is, oh, this is where the fighting starts. I'm getting my popcorn. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, lock and load. Like, we got it. We got it. You know, let's move on. Let's let's get to the story. Oh, well, there wasn't one. But, yeah. No, you're, JJ, I completely agree. It was perfect. Pete? Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so to go back to the camera for a second uh, and perspective and all that stuff, my favorite ca- camera sequence was the uh, Return of the Jedi speeder scene following the GoPros following the um, the Raptors on the chase. I actually had a lot of fun, a lot of fun with that. And people probably aren't going to like that, but I just really like the way that they did it. And then the fact that they gave you the perspective of the fact that they actually had equipped them with something like a GoPro and that they that everybody was watching back in control room about it. I don't know. I thought that was done well technically and it was fun to look at in the theater. And it was neat that that was a follow-up from the Cameron-ish, James Cameron-ish thing of the original soldiers uh, having the uh, their helmet cams like in Aliens and then the, of course, subsequent flat lines as we watch all of them slowly die because of monsters. The, o- the only thing that I wish they had played up more, which I thought they had potential to, is the fact that you get to that point where you've got all of the soldiers and the raptors in the field with these cameras on, and then the raptors turn sides and are now hunting the people. I would love to have seen that play out more in the control room, as you see from the raptors' perspective as they're hunting the people. Oh, brilliant. The people's perspective as they're running. I think that would have made it so much more interesting to play that scene that way. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a small thing. Oh, but that's such a great idea for the horror in the control room of like, oh, no, we're not in control of it anymore. Love it. Andy, you're signed up. (laughs) I'm calling Hollywood. Hold on. Hollywood! (laughs) There's no answer yet, but I'll let you know. But you're right there. You're like in the neighborhood. You just wait. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great idea, Andy. That's exciting. I'm going to write my own (laughs) short film (laughs) that I'll never make. (laughs) So speaking speaking of crew, I I do want to say – Considering that uh, that John Williams really created some iconic themes for Jurassic Park, I have found that it's been underwhelming in every one of the sequels, the the score. And Michael Giacchino, who I really love, did his, you know, his tribute to John Williams themes and everything. But otherwise, I mean, the music, it, it worked in the sense that it was, you know, it was thrilling in the right places and all that. But there's nothing memorable about any of it. I am super glad you brought this up. I had a huge problem with the music, not just that that it was, you know, it was kind of a pasty homage to the original, not a very good one. Uh, and I'm with you. I love Michael Giacchino. I think his stuff is generally really, really good. This was terrible, and it was used horribly. The, yep. the first half hour, everything was a major dramatic reveal. And by the time you get to something that's actually damn near interesting, you're kind of exhausted from the music. I found it was just really horribly used particularly in the beginning of the film and if you want to distill it down a little bit too how he he did go to the themes which is great you know use the themes but instead his what i thought was his creative leap to change the themes was to cut them off he made them staccato in places and that's like the opposite of what you want to do to make something special and new and big and so yes he's paying homage to the themes but then he's leaving you thinking wait it's supposed to be special it's supposed to it's supposed to bring me someplace new and instead it left me wanting more which wasn't good for this movie the, the other thing the thing that was original the sort of low uh strings stuff when the drama came in was kind of a a a toss it was it was almost too symphonic in nature where i think that one of the neat things i think about the way that score music is going today is it's going away from using just the orchestra and it's using lots of other interesting strange noises to bring that tenseness there and i think that this was kind of it 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 was unoriginal in that and i wanted something special and new it actually reminded me of of uh, the Berlioz Requiem, which sounds really strange 
it just a, an old. Oh yeah, the Berlioz thing. Requiem. Yeah. Do you totally. do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, but I wish I did. <laughs> it, I, I think it's a, I think it's a it's a toss off to an old an old full orchestra thing. I don't think it's new, and that's and that's just how I felt with all this music. Is that instead of being inspiring, it was just kind of redundant. And I agree with what you guys are saying. For me, what just worked, and I know it's not uh, a competition, but just it's this film was such a conversation with the first film. Ignoring the second film and the third film, I thought it is such a conversation with the first film that I kind of understand why he wouldn't want to. He'd want to be a little bit more traditional. It worked for me. The film has so many problems, but it just worked for me. But that's interesting (laughs) that you guys would want that kind of a an update that kind of stuff going along with that both maybe this is to tommy and to andy since you guys had so much fun with it were there certain set pieces that you guys really loved all the dino scenes i mean i I really did love the uh the all the raptor whispering at the beginning and then i loved the scene where they go out with the raptors i loved the uh the scene with the kids in the in the hamster ball i thought that was a lot of fun and uh, even even the first uh, the first escape from the uh, Indominus Rex was I, I mean that was fun it wasn't it didn't blow my mind or anything but it was still fun just kind of him dousing himself in gasoline and all that and I I mean I really loved the big dino scene the the fight at the end bringing the T Rex out to get more teeth in there I thought was fantastic and then of oh. course the the big surprise I don't know if it's a big surprise but having the big the big giant alligator thing pop out to grab to grab him at the end I thought was fun. I mean, I, I just, I had fun pretty much put a dinosaur on screen and I was having fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was having fun. And in the same way that Andy's saying though, it's not just dinosaurs. It was, I thought it was handled and filmed really well that these are larger than life, huge monsters. And I knew where I was again to crib from JJ. And I felt like I was there ish because of the human perspective uh, and then also the, yeah, we said the gyroscope. I liked the, uh, hospital van getaway with the two kids in the back. Mm. I, I thought it was just so many of those things were thrilling. And I was just sort of like, at times I was laughing out loud, like an idiot <laughs> because it <laughs> well, was fun. I yeah, wish they it was scarier, a- but I, w- but I was just having so much fun. But they did a good job balancing some of the the thrills of the scenes along with some lighter comedy moments just to kind of remind you that it's not being too serious here. Um, you know, I loved it when it would cut back to the control room and, and they, you know, he'd have a fun little one liner or something like that. Wow. I, I enjoyed all of that. It was just it, I for me, it ended up balancing the the thrill ride that I was wanting. My my favorite single character sequence is when uh, Jake Johnson goes in for a kiss to his coworker. Oh, <laughs> Someone so has to crazy. stay behind. She's oh oh oh, I have a oh, boyfriend. No, I have a boyfriend. Oh, you never well, mentioned. You never mentioned. Him. Well, it's at work. You know, it's work. <laughs> I don't talk about that stuff at work. <laughs> that was just great. Uh, certainly, Jake Johnson well, is my hero. He is my hero. He is I, great. I think he is just terrific. And that awful mustache. Yeah, uh, just a great character bit. <laughs> Please don't wear that shirt to work anymore, <laughs> as he's wearing the original Jurassic Park. That was terrific. It was just terrific. There was one part that I wanted to also ask just the group, but also those. Oh, you all have children. Never mind. I want to ask the group, you guys that have children. There was one part because my theater was filled with kids, little kids. Yep. yep. And it's just sort of like, really, you never saw the first or second one? I guess they all handled it okay, but these films are not. I don't know. I feel like there may be a little bit. It depends on what kind of age it is. But that one, the one part, 
A, the pterodactyl, I don't know if that's what they're called, the flying dinosaurs. That was horrifying, but I loved it. But the real one was the death of the assistant. Yeah. The assistant of um, Uptight Magoo. That was almost too much for me, and I'm not a child. Like, it wasn't gory, but she was constantly being thrown up in the air, mouthed, mouthed by a bunch of teethless things, goes underwater, almost drowns, up again, drown again, up again, drown again, then finally eaten by a thing. That death was worthy of that horrible, cowardly lawyer in the first one, except they forgot to make this person a villain. Right. <laughs> she, was, she was just a person. And then she got the most horrific, long death ever. Did that bother you guys at all? That was a little bit much. Maybe I was just being a little bit too aware of the kids around me, but I was like, that was really pretty hardcore while being gore free. Speaking from my four-year-old's perspective, because I, I totally agree. I, we went, we walked out of the theater going, God, there's a lot of really, really young kids in here. Yeah. And then, and then I was just like, well, of course I just watched Jurassic parks two and three with my son. And I mean, I covered his eyes through a lot of it. But I, I was just like, do you think you'd want to see another dinosaur movie? And he's just like, yeah, like he's totally into it. And we reminded him, you know, things are fake. None of this is real. And that particular scene, that's when my wife and I looked at him. And he looked at me and he was like, no, I'm not scared at all. And it's just like it rolled right off of him. Like it was just a plaything, And I, I don't know if that's just I'm exposing him to violence and now, uh, you know, he's going to. He's fully uh, desensitized. <laughs> you're, you're raising a sociopath. Other than that, it's great. <laughs> no, no, that makes sense. I mean, kids are different and they learn things from Disney about death and stuff. And then, again, the important thing that you did was like remind him this is not real. These are special effects. Maybe I was just holding on too tight. So that's cool. I'm glad that that's OK. I, I did not take my kids to this, but only because of timing um, and they were traveling for vacation and I just we couldn't get them and me at the theater at the same time uh, but I would uh, after seeing it I, I I don't think there would be any any problem with it but my kids are older so yeah we cool. you know our, my boys are in love with dinosaurs but uh, you know we're oh. five, five, they're five and three so I think uh, we've talked about like 12 I think would probably be the for the first one and probably not sooner I <laughs> You know, I like the the assistant's name is Katie McGrath. That's the actress, and she was from um, she was from Merlin. <laughs> she played Morgana in Merlin. She so I, totally I, did. I kind of <gasps> dig her. Oh. So um, so yeah, I was really sad that she got a terrible death too. That's a great show. Yeah, I love that B- show. BBC. I feel like that character is still dying. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. Like underwater. she still hasn't been put out of her misery. Well, she's being digested <laughs> slowly. I slowly. assume there was some longer oh, cut where she was more of a villain there's some weird like adr of her talking about a bachelor party but her yeah. biggest thing is just she's not taking enough attention to the kid Ugh. i didn't know yeah, that was yeah her that was her big crime was yeah maybe not enough to justify that death yeah like that would have been a good uh d'onofrio death yes yes perfect yes perfect. instead of a weird off-screen eating in the uh, computer room right yeah. Boy, that's a really good point. That's how he because he he died really unsatisfyingly. Well, that's and so there's something that I brought up in a podcast a ways back. I think it was when we did Insurgent, and I was and I was thinking about how odd it was that there's so many films out here that are about control right now and controlling things for the use of weapons, right? So Insurgent did that, and the second uh, How to Train Your Dragon did that too, and that's something that's happening here where instead of the simple act of nature turning against humanity, which is like the first Jurassic Park, there's this whole thing now that's a 
sort of super meme in films about controlling others that are relatively innocent to be weaponized or to be the bad people. And I don't know why everything is kind of with that theme right now, but that was his death, right? So that's what the, his death reminded me of, of the fact that he was trying to control them. He wasn't able to control them. And there's this weird kind of control thing going on in films today. And, and I don't know, I just want to raise awareness to it because I'm wondering why, what in society is drawing us to that thing, that threat that we feel that we need to express it in art? Usually being such a horror nerd, usually it's a huge sense of anxiety of the, when we've done these kind of things. And then when, you know, when in aliens, really in this movie, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio was Waylon Utani. The idea of needing to try to capture things we don't quite understand and use them for our own good. And then it gets away from us is a boom in science. Yeah. A, a lot of times it has to do with like when the gas crisis was happening, when the nuclear age was happening, that's when we had all of the crazy ants, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite answering your question. That's more just about anxiety. I, you know, what, I think you're on track. I think that what really what we're seeing too though is is uh, you know, the, that anxiety or that loss of control that we feel as a reflection of uh, or a cultural reflection of our loss of control in society, loss of control in privacy, loss of control in Security, in our loss in of control security. in our government. Yeah. Like there, we are having loss of control, and so it is reflected in art as a form of of regaining control or shifting power or taking control in a way that satisfies us really viscerally. And yeah. and we don't ever really look at that. But I, it, for me, I absolutely see that connection that that we are seeing uh, that that sort of about face um, in and I don't think it's these films. I don't think it's a catharsis in the way that we're seeing films where the control is used and great and we're no, in charge. Yeah, no, we're, it's, we're, it's, a, it's an echo of what we're feeling of the loss of control of our government and privacy, everything that Pete just said, but in a way that isn't involved with governments and right. NSA and stuff. Yeah. We're seeing this in uh, sci-fi fantasy things of this is what we're going through, but the winners always win. The good people always win. So right. unlike right. the NSA and the government – they use our stuff, spins out of control, but we we end up okay. So it is so, kind of a catharsis. W what I'm talking about is the perspective of the, the protagonist, right? So in the first one, we have uh, these protagonists that have created this environment that all of a sudden turns against them, and they're scared because they're scared of the dinosaurs coming in on them. In this one, we've humanized the velociraptors. We've even put a human with them to say, hey, the we've found a way to make these guys on our team. This is the good guys. And so all of a sudden, the, the Velociraptors in many cases in this film are the protagonists. And the new fear that I feel f is that they're kind of harking on, that writers are harking on, are, is the fear that we ourselves are going to be controlled into doing something wrong. I can see that. I, I can see that. I was As you were talking, I was thinking about the, you know, the parallel to the first one. And I, I, I thought the the sort of superficial uh, reflection is that, you know, in both of these films, we are trying to control things which are uh, uncontrollable. And that, you know, that is a very clear parallel. Just because they got further with the, you know, Jurassic World than they did in Jurassic Park, they had to leave Jurassic Park because it was uncontrollable. It was something that they lost. They right. lost the battle. And here we're saying you can try to have that battle again, but you're going to lose. But, I, you know, what I hear you saying is this like this sub, this, this sort of um, sub story or this sub reflection of look what happens when 
um, you know, when we when we're trying to uh, subvert that control and actually use it in a much more sort of proactive way. Not just put it on display, not just own it, not just dominate it, but now to use it in a way that that you know does things that maybe aren't you know particularly useful, good. Yeah, I'll have for to the keep. I'll goods. have to keep marinating on it because I think there's more to it. I'm gonna keep. I think there's more movies out there that are gonna do this, and I want to see how it how there's a through line. It's, oh, I it's, think so. It's too. a weird new way to be scared. It's it's a funny thing too because I think you look at it in the um, sort of the YA, uh, you know literature and, and the YA films that are being adapted. That's another really consistent theme. And it's a, it's a sort of uh, millennial anthem, I think, that, sure. that is new for guys like us. People are watching over us and deciding exactly where we need to fit. Yes. Yeah. And this, yeah. Is, this is that sort of cultural element. Absolute saying, control. I will not do that. I will not subvert to, ye, to thee. The velociraptors um, are millennials. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no no no! The millennials are velociraptors. Oh that's, my god, that's better. Yeah. Um, uh, this is uh, credit to Andy for this question. I think it's probably the most important question uh, of the of the night. Uh, what is your favorite dinosaur, and why? My favorite uh, since I was a kid has always been the Ankylosaurus, and I was thrilled that they turned up in Jurassic Park three, although um, they were hardly uh, hardly in it. And so I was very excited that they had uh, a whole scene in this film, and they were fantastic. It was so fun. It was it was really actually sad to watch them, but it was great to see them acting like you know as they would with the giant the thorny shell on the outside and the big club tail as it was trying oh, to fight off the Indominus Rex. Right. Yeah, he gets in the fight, and then the Indominus Rex, of course, finally flips it over to expose its soft underbelly, just like a you know, like a turtle or something, and then it uh, cracks its head. And I, I had a great time watching mm. them. I was thrilled that they actually had a full scene in this. Love it. All right, Tommy. Baby Triceratops. What? <laughs> oh my gosh. That little blonde kid riding around a Triceratops. I was like, I will be you in the future. Because I don't know how time works. I think that I'll get younger <laughs> as I move forward. But yeah, Baby Triceratops for the win. <laughs> JJ. So as I was growing up, I always loved pterodactyls. And that's another one that's uh, actually fallen by the wayside. We've lost brontosauruses and pterodactyls. They now say that those no longer exist. So I don't get to say that anymore. So my new, with my kids being in love with dinosaurs, and I see so much dinosaur like shows and literature, dinosaur train, all that stuff. I'm always sort of questioning the um, the ideas of colors. Like, how do we think we know what color dinosaurs were? Regardless, my favorite one is a stegosaurus. And the reason why is because they ask questions about the stegosaurus plates. And we have all these ideas about what the plates of the stegosaurus were for. And yep. the, new, the new theory about the plates on the back of the stegosaurus is that it was used to cool them. So that with the plates that, and I don't know, I'm just saying I have no idea, but I love that there's this dinosaur that we know had these plates that were up above and we don't know if it was for whatever reason, but the fact that they're catch the wind and could cool the dinosaurs and then they had spiky tails to defend it if they needed it. I don't know. I just feel like it's one of those dinosaurs that probably in the next couple of years we're going to decide is actually just an amalgam of eight more dinosaurs that they're going to split apart. So I'm going to hold on to my stegosaurus until it gets taken away. When I go to dinosaur museums, if there's a dinosaur heaven, I think they're looking down on us and being like, that's not what we look like, you idiots. All of that is wrong. 
I, um, you know, for me, it was going to be the uh, the baby, the the petting zoo dinosaurs pick one, like the Baranus, the the, the Apatosaurus, I think, is the baby Apatosaurus, where the little kid runs up and gives him a hug. Uh, I I thought that was really really sweet, but I am gonna have to pick the uh, as much as I was not satisfied with the climax of the film, I am picking the Mosasaurus. Uh, I was. I have always been a nut for the swimming the dinosaurs. Yeah, I, okay. anything underwater, and I that that exudes an enormous amount of fear for me uh, because I'm not crazy about wide open seas, and that there were things that there were that big uh, floating around in the oceans uh, is that's just bananas that that even existed, and so I found myself really exhilarated by every time that thing showed itself. Good choice. No, I agree with you from this film. I I think I misunderstood the question. The Mosasaurus is bomb. Yeah. So I was wondering, what is the flying dinosaur that looks like like it has a Tyrannosaurus Rex head? What was that guy? They have them in Dinosaur Train. I'm going to look it up for you. I I thought it was a Pteranodon. Like, it's just they've they've discovered that they've redesigned the Pteranodon a little bit. No, because the Pteranodons were still flying around, and they had the big pointy beaks. But then there was oh. the, that, like, the, little, the little T-Rex head. And I was it wasn't a baby Pteranodon with its uh, short nose? I don't think their head changes that much. <laughs> that's quite a drastic... Uh, that's like going into a cocoon and coming oh, I, I thought it's I saw actually, one that actually had Tom's head on it. It was just flying around Tommy Handsome Pteranodon. <laughs> <laughs> and it changes over time, and it starts to look different. But that's what they're born with. So I'm actually going to Wikipedia and looking up the names of the main characters of the PBS show Dinosaur Train, which is is a a new low Pteranodon family. And they have, uh, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to find it through the whole thing, but they have a buddy who's one of those dinosaurs, which I'm going to find at some point. And he has this strange head, but he flies. He's from a completely different period in dinosaur history. That's why it's different. But they do, it is one that we think did exist at this point. Man. You know, one fun thing about dinosaurs that just as a, 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 a and if you like Pete for this is um, uh, Jeff Jones, a, a friend of mine, he wrote a, a book, a dinosaur book called The Dinosaur 4 that actually is a time travel book where some people um, unexpectedly get sucked back through time into the uh, into the dinosaur period. And it is a very fun adventure book that's well worth reading. And they have a really uh, a much different take on the dinosaurs that I really enjoy, where they actually all these dinosaurs actually have some feathers sticking out in different parts and stuff like that. So they actually seem much more like that blend of something that would actually become the birds, which I, I really enjoyed quite a bit. It's definitely a more violent sort of take. It's definitely more of an adult story um, that uh, than any of these PG-13 sort of films, but it's definitely one worth checking out if you want more dinosaurs. We'll put it in the link to the show notes, available for free to Kindle Unlimited subscribers, $3.99 to buy. And I found it. It's a Patinosaurus. Seriously. It doesn't look exactly like it does in Jurassic World, but I would say look it up. And the character's name on the show, I'm not kidding, is Petey Patinosaurus. Oh. (laughs) It's like my spirit animal. Uh, and so we've already said, Andy, it's doing really spanking well at the box office. Since we started recording this, do we have any new data? Uh, No. That was, (laughs) I, I, I pulled the latest data. It hasn't changed Great. quite that quickly. <laughs> Quick, JJ, check Dinosaur Show. I already forgot. I messed up the joke. I forgot what it's Dino Train. That's where we get all of our hard hitting news. That's the new Wikipedia. Dino Train. 
if if that is uh, all of the uh, existing dino business, I think it's time uh, that we grank it. Now it's time to know how the rankings go. Our opinions will impart. Will our thoughts be wrong or like B.D. Wong? Will we engineer a rank so fear that all will cheer our flick chart by engine? <laughs> that's, that's how that one ends. Oh, my goodness. Sweet. You clearly loved this movie. <laughs> Head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board to check in on all the films that we've talked about on this very show. Sign up with Flickchart and start your own list. And let's see if we're Flickchart besties. Here we go. All right, Jurassic World or Divergent? Jurassic oh, World. Jurassic World. On this one. Jurassic World. There you go. Jurassic World or Looper? Looper. I'm going to do Jurassic World. I'm going to say Looper, Pete. Dang, really? Dag, yo. <laughs> uh I I think I'm I think I'm also gonna say Looper. All I, right, I Looper to, it is. I I, I may regret movie. I may regret that, but I think I'm gonna say Looper. Hey, Looper's a great movie. It, uh, I'm gonna say The forehead, Hobbit. Forehead. <laughs> Jurassic World or The Hobbit? There you go. Tom. <laughs> the, the, the Desolation of Smaug. Uh, <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. Uh, Selma. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm going to say, uh, of course, Jurassic World. Uh, I'm going to say Smog. I, I would also say Jurassic World. I'm going to say Jurassic World. Jurassic World or Avengers Age of Ultron. Jurassic World. Jurassic World. Ultron. Oh. Ul- Ultron. Oh, what happens now? Now it's a fight to the death. I, I think I think that it should be, uh, I think it should be JJ and Tom. Oh, what, oh okay. Rochambeauing? Yeah, sure. Yep. I can't Rochambeau and hold my mic up to my hand, so we'll <laughs> give it a try. Well, you so don't actually it... have to move your hands, Tom. It's, it. it's an audio show. Nobody can see you. <laughs> oh, no. You could use your head, your, your mental hands to do this. <laughs> I can't believe that I didn't figure that out. All right, fair enough. Cool. I'm going to pretend that that never happened. I'm an adult. I graduated. Okay, so... <laughs> Justin, so it's three, two, one, say? Okay, got it. Ready, go. Three, two, one, rock. Rock. Well, all right. Do it again. There's a delay. Let's do it again. Three, two, one, rock. rock. Okay. We both read that, that same blog. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, rock. Scissors. I win. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think JJ just threw I it I think he purpose. threw it because you, you exhausted him. That's what happened. Yeah. You yeah. just yeah. exhausted the That's man. That's my job. Good it's job, like the, Tommy. It's like the thrill I wasn't going to say rock again. I just keep <laughs> dancing around, dancing around till I tire him out. <laughs> Thunder in the jungle. <laughs> All right, Jurassic World takes that one. Uh, Jurassic World or Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Okay, Jurassic, Jurassic World. World. Uh oh, uh. that's another one. Sorry, guys. This is All right, so it's me and Andy. Yep. Yes. All right. Here we go. One, one two, two, three. three rock. Jeez. Jurassic <laughs> World's climbing up. Uh, based on Jurassic rock, paper, World. scissors. Look Andy, at that. My hero, Andy. <laughs> That's right. Number 10 out of 35. Oh, God, it made the top 10. Oof. That is illegitimate. 
You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. <Right>. Thanks, dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> well, good conversation, uh, gentlemen. Excellent flick chart song, Tommy. Oh, uh, and uh, we still didn't figure out the Christmas. Mystery. Oh, we didn't. Why <laughs> oh. was this set at Christmas? I didn't even know it was set. And at how Christmas. was it set at Christmas? What? Why do the we only, know it was set at the, Christmas? The only hint is at the very beginning when mom and dad are getting the two kids in the car and they're chatting with the son about, uh, it's yo, it's so sad. Are you going to be okay? Which was very funny. Their Christmas music starts playing in the background. It's have yourself a merry little Christmas playing in the background. Like it's they all snowy. That. It's snowy up there, that. and they're they're getting ready to send them off on a Christmas weekend trip to Auntie who runs a dinosaur Because that happens, right? I mean, even the couples, like, finalizing divorce, they send their kids away for Christmas. That's going to help them smooth the divorce over with kids. <laughs> just ridiculous. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the story holes because we just kind of left that. But yeah, gosh. That was a like, non-trivial one. drive a Jeep in fast, in high speed in reverse through a crowd of screaming people, like, without visual. Through, well, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't hey, know how Justin. cars work. Yeah. Hey, Justin, two words, baby triceratops. <laughs> <laughs> For the win! <laughs> Woo! Oh, dear. Uh, where, as we put this to bed, where do we go <laughs> ne- next month? Uh, next month, we are going to be uh, jumping back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and talking Yay. <laughs> You got, you know, uh, you got. You, uh, I feel like it's one for me, ten for you guys. <laughs> I gotta be honest. You gave me dinosaurs, and I've given you hobbits and marvels all over the place. <laughs> I, that I feel really bad about. This is a scheduling thing, though. This is not really. I mean, this is just when it happens to fall together. It's because of summer. What can you say? I'm sorry, Tom. Fair enough. I'm don't, cool. Don't I love. Us. I love being here, and I love you guys. Don't, so thank you. Don't ever. Leave. <laughs> Don't ever ship me off to Dino Land for Christmas. <laughs> Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for being here. As always, uh, JJ. Ah, uh, thank you. I liked it. I wasn't scared. Tommy, thank you. Always for a pleasure. Uh, Andy, good to talk to you, as always, my friend. Yes, indeed. Until next time. Until next time. On behalf of everybody and me, Pete Wright, thanks for uh, hanging out with us on the film board this month. And uh, don't forget, listen to uh, me and Andy on the regular show every, uh, you know, Friday-ish, Friday-ish, Saturday morning sometimes, the weekly show, the next reel. We'd love you to subscribe. And then you don't need to really pay attention to when it comes out. And that's good for me. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We love you. Good night. And remember, a train can't undress a boy. Are we still are we still bringing that back every week <laughs> since Child Forty Four? I that should be like our catchphrase. Oh man! <laughs> oh wait, so stop stop recording. Uh, only when you're finished. I'm done. Are you sure? <laughs>
Yeah, that's like my that's my top thing. That's coming. That's gonna stay in. Stay in. You bet you bet it will. Well no, if you just put that in, no one will remember child forty four and they'll just think I'm a creep. Oh well. You know what? I don't care. I'm a creep. I like dinosaurs and trains on dressing boys. Let's do this. My name is Justin Yeager. Uh. Put that in the podcast, you weirdos. Woo! All right. Still dancing. Still dancing. Mm. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 